This episode of Asians Represent is brought to you by our amazing supporters at patreon.com slash aznsrepresent and the OneShot Podcast Network. Join our Discord community by heading to aznsrepresent.com. For this episode, we have um, quite a few questions. Some of them uh, should be really easy. Some of them are going to be tough. One of them, both of you have not seen because it wasn't on Discord. Um, okay. And it's the toughest question. Oh, uh, good. Love that. And I'd actually like, I'd actually like to start with that question. Um, yeah, tanks full, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, right. So here it is. So Vandalism49 on Twitter asked me, hi, Daniel, I have a question for the Q&A. I want to do more collaborative work in the TTRPG, TTRPG space, but have no, air quotes, professional experience under my belt, other than the writing I do for my home games. Obviously, with D&D getting more popular, it's easy to get overwhelmed with opportunities, even predatory ones, like what underpaid artists and writers face. What advice do you and the group have for finding the right opportunities and staying focused? Many thanks from a recently new listener. So I think if we boil this question down, and I was like, I start with the heavy one, and I will never ask a question to you folks if I didn't already have an answer planned. So you have time. Uh, if you want to, if you don't want to immediately jump into this, but to kind of summarize this question is how do you kind of navigate the industry as a newbie, right? How do you make connections? Where do you go for advice? Where do you go for that sort of thing? And I think part of the answer is actually finding a community, right? Asians represent didn't exist when I started out. Same with Agatha. This is why we made it in the first place. Um, we didn't think it would actually be a community, actually, until, you know, we made the Discord server in 2020 because it had never occurred to us that this was something we should do. Um, but if you are trying to find the right opportunities and staying focused, A, those are two different things. But if you're trying to find the right opportunities, one, you need to surround yourself with a community of like-minded people who are not only going to, you know, challenge you because it's super important to Surround yourself with folks who will challenge you and challenge your opinions sometimes, but also to surround yourself with a community of folks who will engage with your work genuinely and authentically. Um, when you're coming into the industry, it's really easy to be like, well, this person's doing a call for writers and they picked me without looking at the pay, without looking at what the work is. And the one thing that I'll always say to folks who are getting started, and this is because I made this mistake myself, and I've told that story too many times, so it's not even worth bringing up, is don't just say yes to the first opportunities that you get. Because the first opportunities that you get will follow you to all of your subsequent ones. And while people's circumstances, you know, financials and all that are, are totally a factor that need to be taken into account. If you need to work, you do that work. And I respect that. But if you have the ability and privilege like I did to choose, even though I didn't actually make the choice, be really selective with who you work for. Work with people who align with your values and work 
on projects that also align with those values and what you want to put out into the industry. And when I first started, the one thing that I think is most important in this answer that didn't exist was Unbreakable. Uh, I think Unbreakable yeah. is probably the best way for somebody to get into the industry because it is not only a professionally laid out product, but it is also one of the very few, if not the only one, that will just take your work and pair you up with editors and sensitivity readers who are there to help you. Um, so for Vandalism49 on Twitter, my answer to how do you find the right opportunities is surround yourself with the right people, be selective, and think first about your values. What do you want out of an employer? What do you want out of a community? And then when you go into any conversation about the work you're doing, make sure that they all align. Uh, in terms of staying focused, I'll say this. And Steve, you know this about me too. Sometimes there's too much of a grind, right? Staying focused. Yeah. A lot of people think staying focused is like, you just got to keep going, keep going, keep going. I think the answer to how do you, you know, what advice do you have for staying focused is, you know, work on what you're passionate about. Find the right platform in which you want to organize your work, be it Dynalist, Notion, I think Notion's probably one of the best ones. Uh, I used to be like OneNote. Um, but find a platform that you feel like works with how your brain works. And that will keep your workflow consistent. But also remember that it's okay to be unfocused. Right? It's okay to take breaks. It's okay to step away from work. Um, you know, the gaming industry will... will, will it will carry on without you. But the one thing that you need to take care of first is, is obviously yourself. So yes, staying focused, the best way to do it is find a tool that you can use to organize your work in a way that makes sense to you cognitively. Um, and then also have the understanding that it's okay to be unfocused uh, because that's your brain telling you that, hey, maybe you need a little bit of a break. Uh, but Stephen Agatha, what about you? Any advice for um, this aspiring TTRPG creator on how to find the right opportunities and stay on that grind. What do you think? So I think I, I'll preface with this also saying that, you know, I came from a very privileged kind of way to enter into the, the space, but my, my main kind of, I guess, thing that I would recommend people do is to stay authentically yourself which is like such a weird like words of wisdom you text it to your gra your grandma texts you every single day like good morning words of wisdom you know always pour someone else's coffee before yourself i don't know but be authentically yourself is really really good for it was good for me because it meant that i didn't have to put too much energy into just engaging with the community as you said in a way that made me comfortable so naturally i was kind of talking to people and like having these conversations in a way that made me happy and it just so happened that as i was having the conversations and being honest with my feelings about you know the asian Prison podcast and things like that that kind of passion and that light kind of shone through naturally and i have learned throughout my life that people have a very good bullshit detector 
like much better than most people think they do. Mm -hmm. But people will catch you if you are, you know, not authentically yourself. And some will comment on it, some won't. But many more will just kind of walk away quietly. Like you won't even know they noticed it and they'll just kind of leave your zone of control. And that can be really, really tough for anyone who's starting up. So do a lot of reflection. My advice is do a lot of reflection. Think about who you are, what you love, what you want to to work towards. Find those communities and just speak right from your heart, right from there. It's going to hurt sometimes. It's going to be painful sometimes. But uh, I think that's how you set yourself up for success. Yeah. I think a lot of people, um, I think there are a lot of people who are fake as fuck in this industry. Like, I'll say it. I think there are a lot of people who are fake as fuck. Um, I think there are a lot of people. <laughs> I, I didn't want to say that. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Right? <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who are fake as fuck. And if you're being fake around me, I know. Right? There are people who only message me when they want something out of Asians Represent. If you're somebody who only messages me when you have something, when you want something about Asians represent, I'm not going to answer your message. There was somebody who messaged me and said, um, we hadn't talked in a couple months. Uh, and they messaged me and they say, hey, I just wanted to check in on you, see how you're doing. How's your family? At first I was like, oh, something's fishy, right? And I was like, we had a little bit of a cordial back and forth on Discord. And that kind of ended. I was like, I got to go to bed. It's late at night. Wake up next day to a message from them. And they said, sorry, what I actually meant to say was, I'm now working for this publisher. And I was wondering if you wanted to pitch us. And that is exactly what they said. And they are a, they are somebody that both of you know. And they are somebody like an Asian creator in this space. And I basically told them, I was like, don't ask me how my family's doing and then tell me what I actually meant was I want you to pitch for the company I'm now working for. Don't come to me with that bullshit. Uh, and, and people, I, I, I just go for it. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go for it. I was, I just looked up my first message ever to like the first time I ever contacted the agent to present like team. It was on Twitter. Yeah. And my message is just finished session zero of new Shambhala. Yep. And I'm in love in all caps. Yep. As soon as I finished, I went to Magpie to try to get a hardcover copy. I remember this. To play with my friends with the coupon code. Didn't apply. <laughs> Not sure if I'm missing something. Thanks for any help you can give. <laughs> and that's my very first time ever engaging with the Asian Represent team. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but the cu- customer service. I think we, um, <laughs> but we met in person, right? And we always tell a story about how when we met in person, there was that vibe. And then if you look at our very first DMs, the DMs between you and I from my personal account, it's completely different, right? Absolutely. Um, And all I'm saying is, like, again, just like whether or not I knew Daniel or Agatha, the message would have been the same. It's kind of like, I love this. This is great. But I need this discount. I need the discount discount code. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, That's it. Like, we knew Steve was, was out for a good deal. Like that aligns with my <laughs> values. <laughs> That's, that aligns with my. Uh, um, Agatha, how about you? 
Um, I feel like my answer is much more mundane because um, it's, I think from what I remember of what you said, Daniel, just now is like, how do I find people to collaborate with yeah. if um, I don't have previous experience that I can show for? Oh, Agatha, you muted yourself. There you go. I, oh, there you go. I got you. Sorry, it's my cat. She's rolling onto the keyboard. It's <laughs> she knows that that is the exact way to get my attention. It's she does this every single meeting I have. Um, I kind of respect. Anyway, that. I, I respect that. I honestly, I respect her. Uh, her cleverness, but I don't respect the fact that she's <laughs> doing this to me. Um, but yeah, back to the whole thing. I think it depends on like what area of TTRPGs you want to get into, because like there are so many ways for you to get like uh, a portfolio that you can show for. For example, you can sign up on itch.io and like and publish different scenarios that you write um, just by yourself. You can do like solo games, things like that. Um, you can join game jams, which are very common on itch.io. And that's kind of how, and the way that game jams help get your work out there is that you join it and then you submit a game to the game jam. And then at the end, when the jam, the jam is over other games that are a part of it whenever other people go to check out those games it shows that it's a part of a jam and then if someone is like oh i like this game like i'm curious about or i like this i don't know scenario or whatever um and i'm curious about other things that are in this jam then they go click on that page and then it shows your game on there too or whatever you like yeah whatever you write so like these are all things that you can do this is kind of how it is with all writing i think if you ever want to get into writing different things you need to write um, and then get it out there now in terms of getting collaborators i my advice i guess <laughs> is like to talk to people um that also sounds very like that sounds facetious but i don't mean it facetiously i mean like if you talk with people on twitter or on i don't know in like our discord server or whatever like whichever community you're already part of and then you get into dialogue about how like oh i love this idea wouldn't this be so cool if it was written and then someone else is like heck i'm into it then that's how you kind of like then slide into their dms and then are like hey i think this is really cool want to write it together so I'm not really sure if you're like, the question is like, how do I break into a profession? Because, or if it's just like, how do I do this? Because the former can't happen without the latter. Absolutely. I think it's part networking and like net networking and navigating the industry, but also just what is my best approach what are the steps I need to take before I even think, okay, now I need to talk to people. I think that's a really good point to make about game jams. And I'll also add to that with hacks because mm -hmm. game jams are a really great way to self insert yourself into a design space 
in an authentic way. You're creating a product that is very much you, but you are putting it in a basically on a stage where you're going to get free exposure. I'll say the same thing about like popular hacks and stuff. Um, if there is a game that you really like or a system you really like, and of course licensing and all that, make a hack of it because there is already a community there that will want to play it. Um, look for different themes. Um, that that like for me, like when I Agatha introduced me to solo RPGs, I played Wretched and Alone, and I was like, oh, this is fucking great. Uh, I made my own. I just I just put one out there. Um, and I think that is a really good way of kind of dipping your toes in the water because sometimes your initial work can be derivative from like a mechanics perspective or thematically. You could, you know, make it as a part of a game jam. Um, so no, I think I think that is a I think between the three of us, that is a very balanced answer, right? Um, being authentic, understanding your values and collaborating with those who have the same values as you. Um, and then try to start gaining initial exposure under, because, you know, obviously, um, vandalism 49 mentioned feeling overwhelmed by opportunities, especially predatory ones, um, gaining exposure under circumstances that are in your control, like a game jam or self-publishing a hack on a platform like itch.io. Uh, honestly, I think itch is great for, for, you know, self-publishing because it also lets you have a really cool storefront that you can then, you know, make as part of your website. I really recommend itch. It's, it's fantastic. Now that I, oh, I'm go going to add one more thing. Yeah. And this is not advice. This is a warning because I've seen it happen too often. Okay. If you're trying to network using social media, like Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, the algorithm itself is going to try really hard to push you towards being very negative and like basically dunking, like the algorithm likes dunking. Let's mm -hmm. be honest. Be careful with that no try to reflect on what you think the algorithm is trying to guide you towards and just evaluate if that's lining up with your values because you absolutely can go viral on these platforms by saying something like really really hot for the wrong reasons but too. yeah but like is that really what you want and is that something you want to continue doing sometimes we just need to vent that's fine too i'm never gonna just you know chastise someone for just having a kind of vent on social media and like you put that energy out into the world it's fine that happens to all of us but those who just kind of built their platform on this like idea of negativity and, and taking down other people really evaluate if that's the kind of people you want to associate with yep. that's my warning not advice a warning i would say 100 percent. and i mean you could see that with uh we got a lot of initial attention because of oriental adventures and you can kind of see with how we kind of operate on Twitter now and in social media in general, it's like we will criticize, but also offer solutions um, yeah. because it's okay to be angry on the internet. I mean, I, there, there are certainly times when it's not okay, but it's okay to voice your opinion. Um, but if you're going to voice your opinion, be constructive. Uh, think about different platforms as well. Think about how the algorithm algorithms work, work on them as well. Like I made a TikTok account for fun because I didn't want to post on Twitter. Um, because people who go to my Twitter look for gaming stuff. And I was like, I don't want to talk about games all the time. I want to talk about this like trashy romance manga I'm reading. Um, so I made a TikTok for that. Follow me on TikTok at Daniel H. Kwan. Um, <laughs> but like that has been an interesting exercise too, because 
you know what my my most watched TikTok has eighty five thousand views, and it's just about a manga called Cat and Gamer. Cat Gamer. It's just about <laughs> it's when Marla it's when Marla died, and I made a video about it. Um, but it, it the internet is really unpredictable, and you can get success, exposure, whatever you want to call it, when you least expect it. So what you put out there needs to be, like we talked about, authentically you. Because when people follow you, that will be what they're looking for. So you see a lot of people who are like, follow me and I'll follow and retweet and stuff and you can win a copy of this book or whatever. I've seen people who do that and build large followings, but when they actually try to use their platforms or for something that actually matters to them, they fail because they've built an audience off of inauthentic interaction. Uh, so that's really important. I've seen people who, who have like five digit followers go to do a Kickstarter with a really modest goal and cancel it after day one because they don't get anybody because people are only following them because they want to get win a contest or something. So for me, follower account does not matter at all um, because engagement is also really important. But that said, let's let's move to uh, uh, more of a um, some easier questions. Um, I think only one of the two uh, is not going to be an Agatha question unless Agatha, you like the Ari Salvatore books. Um, oh God! <laughs> uh, so this this one's for me from Cat um, Cat Armad, who's wonderful. Cat and I had a we had a really great discussion in the Discord server actually yesterday, uh, yesterday night talking about um, our grandparents and how um, my, my grandfather, um, I found it recently, he was uh, back in China, he was sold. Um, uh, him and his siblings were separated and sold to different families. Uh, didn't know that. Learned that recently. But yeah, we talked about our families and stuff. But Kat said to me, are you getting enough sleep? And also, what is your go-to kombucha flavor? Uh, you know, the answer is I, I never get enough sleep. I actually was asleep maybe an hour before we started recording this because I had this massive uh, like crash after being social all day. Um, I did not plan for it. Uh, my go-to kombucha flavor, I don't drink a lot of kombucha, uh, but what? Agatha, <laughs> <laughs> jump in. What? I don't have a go-to kombucha flavor. Either. Oh, I thought you were. I, I thought you were upset. I thought you were gonna chastise Isaiah. Yeah. I was like, Dan, you were gonna get ripped a I new one. I Let's was hear it. Get roasted. No, I do have a go-to. Kombucha I wasn't flavor. done though. Oh, but why don't you drink a lot of kombucha? <laughs> I guess I don't care about my gut biome. Um, how could you? I know. How could I? Um, no, I used to. I used to get like a. Um, I used to get like a monthly kombucha delivery. Nice. Uh, yeah. So like the company that I work for used to do like this monthly snack box and I would always just get organic juice and kombucha and gummy candies every month. And there's this one kombucha. I forget the brand, but it was this peach kombucha and it was super good. Uh, so that would be my answer. Um, but that's a, a question to more more than just me is um, from Jeremy. And he asks, what's your favorite Dritz Jordan book? And earliest memories of reading about sad emo drow ranger man. Go. Um, and it, yeah, <laughs> I see your face. You're like, who the fuck is this? Um, <laughs> so uh, 
Thrift Stores was a is a character created by R.A. Salvatore and featured in a ton of books set in the D&D universe. Um, I have two answers. Um, my favorite Dritz Dorden book is actually the Crystal Shard. Uh, this is the okay. Two, this is the two thousand and one printing of it. Um, the art was not as good. Uh, all of my Dritz Dorden books. Oh, there's a bookmark. Hey, look at that! It's an Emberwind bookmark. Shout out to Emberwind. Um, cool. Now I found a bookmark. Awesome. Uh, my R.A. Salvatore's books. I mean, there's there's stuff in it that we can obviously deconstruct, but as like a teenager, <laughs> um, R.A. Salvatore's books were like really important to me playing D and D. Um, they, I just wanted to make cool characters and I wanted to be descriptive about combat like R.A. Salvatore is. Um, so for, for me, like my favorite one is probably the crystal shard. I think it's really cool. Um, my, earliest or fondest memories about this sad emo drow ranger uh, is actually being at a chapters indigo so in canada we don't have chapters indigo is kind of like our barnes and nobles um just big box book chain and seeing the cover and this is still one of my favorite book covers it, we're not talking about the 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 the, the context or anything but seeing the cover to thousand orcs the thousand orcs um seeing that cover as a teenager mm. and being like, what the fuck? Um, and absolutely just like fallen for it. Obviously, you know, we, we could talk a lot about orcs and drows and the portrayals of them. But, but for me being like a, a, a young teen and seeing this book cover and having read some, like his other stuff, that was huge for me because I'm like, Oh, he doesn't look goofy anymore. <laughs> He looks badass, like how I imagined him in my mind. Um, so yeah, for for me, it's like early memories are like seeing the covers of these books and being, "Whoa, that's fucking badass!" Uh, and then reading them. Like I have the majority of the the Dritz books actually. They are very beat up. What about you, Steve? I have donated all my books, so unfortunately, I don't have any. I don't have a show and tell. Uh, but I got a lot of joy out of reading as. I got up to one through 13 of the, the series before I, I kind of like fell off. Yeah. Um, if Salvatore, if, if RA Salvatore, if you're watching, I read your spinoff series, the highwayman and I got really turned off by your writing style. It's I think that good. was a great experiment, but I have a lot of problems with that though. I do respect you still as an author. The highwayman is a story about a, a uh, boy who is born with disability and through magic gems can place a gem in his forehead, wrap it up like a bandit and then overcome his uh, disability and have superpowers. It's the classic example but, of an author writing about a subject that they have no experience with. Yeah. And once the gem like leaves their body, they go back to being disabled and they have a lot of opinions about disability that I think you try really hard on. And uh, I think you could have spent more time with that. That said, to the actual question, I thought about this a lot, actually. Okay. I love, I love Dritzdorn. I have a Dritzdorn like, statue next to my desk. It's in a glass case. Yeah. I know it's, I know it's fucking cringe and all that shit. Okay. <laughs> best, best book that I know is, uh, it's, so uh, Dritz is not in it. But the best one is Servant of the Shard from the mm. Cell Swords trilogy. 
where it focuses on Jarlaxle, Renere, another cool and character. Artemis and Treary. Oh, so cool. Are, Such a cool character. So uh, Jarlaxle is your pansexual drow who has both rejected patriarchy and matriarchy to just be a disaster and it's has built an entire house on being a, being a disaster, which that spoke to me as a, as a younger man and as an adult now speaks to me still. <laughs> so uh, I'm here for disaster drought. Artemis and Shuri is a toxic man, just the absolute worst, terrible person. Mm-hmm. No one should like that person. And through a little bit of nudging through Jarlaxle, not consensual, which again, not super great, uh, allows Artemis to begin to feel emotions authentically. And Artemis begins to like understand where anger is coming from and like where rage is coming from and why this is all happening. And maybe it's not worth holding on to rage. So art, so that sellsword trilogy is about watching people go through their lives and hurt and kill and just do all these terrible things. And then sometimes you play an instrument and you sit back and you relax and you reflect on your choices and you decide if that's really the path you want to take. Spoiler for the series, Arnmus decides that his feud with Dritzt and his friendship with, with Jarlaxle, they're both not good for him. And he gives them both up and decides, I'm just going to find something else for myself. I don't know what it is, but I can't be here anymore. And I'm going to find something else. You know what? Interesting. Uh, from like Ari Salvatore's sort of world, Caddy Bree is the reason why I wanted to own a bow. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, Agatha, I want your opinion on this. I'm going to get you stew on it. Dritz to Erden is an elf who lives 700 years. Caddy Bree is a human. Yeah, it's... So human human lifetime. Dritz, as an adult, watches Caddy Bree grow up. And apparently now they have a child. They have a child and they're making a webtoon about it. Their, their child. Wait, they're married? Yeah they, they, yeah, they get together. It's like a whole thing. Oh. It's like Ari Salvatore wrote these stories without thinking about continuity in the narrative. It's like, oh yes, you yeah, because he's eternal and he saw her. He's, yeah, she she was he he saw her like growing up, and then now that she's like, oh, she's her. Yeah. Now when they when they do get together and have a child, she's like thirty four, thirty five, almost forty years old. Yeah, but it's the thing of so, he's known her for a long time. He watched her yeah. grow up, and she grew up with a, an adoptive brother. And as they became adults, they tried to have a romantic relationship and very quickly realized it wasn't going to work out and just ended it. It happens like in like four chapters. Like it's very quick. But then anyways, uh, I had to put that out there because we can't talk about Salvatore without talking about that. Yep. hundred uh, percent. But yes, cool. actual question. Halfling's Gem. Really, really like that one. That was the best of the Icewind Dale trilogy. Has a great kill scene where... They have like this statue of like this dragon, and uh, it's actually Artemis and Shuri who traps a ancient red dragon into fighting him into like a tunnel that where the dragon can't really get to. The dragon like swarms its head into like a tunnel and sets off a trap. It's its own trap, and it blasts itself with its own fire breath and kills it. Artemis is very, very descriptive in combat about combat. Yes, absolutely. So that was really good. And then 
final like honorable mention to Sojourn, which is mm. Dritt's last emo escaping the Underdark. It's uh, his it's... father is the last like boss he needs to fight to get out of the Underdark. His father is a drow who subverts a lot of uh, matriarchal toxic hierarchy in their society. Um, he's well respected, despite the fact that he's a man in this matriarchal society, which they write matriarchy in a weird way. But Dritz has to decide, like, is my freedom worth more than my family? And he makes the decision that freedom is worth more than my family. And he leaves. And he, he, he kills... is like ultimate emo character. In fantasy. Yes. Like so, ultimate emo character. Very emo. Love it. Uh, that book is also the one where he takes... Um, the the brace uh the bracers of agility so they're brace of agility so he can move his hands really fast and like everyone's like yeah my swords can move so fast but in a very like uh very like kung fu cinema kind of way he realizes that that's not actually very good and he puts them on his ankles instead so his feet move faster and that's how he beats everyone out of the underdark he he's like cl- clever emo boy sort of yep. character it's i can see you judging me so yeah i gotta lay it on me like there's a lot of i'm ready now <laughs> if, if you're like if you're like a like a drift Orden fan and like an ari salvatore fan it's like you have that like you're probably you're in your 30s and you have that like nostalgia <laughs> for reading all those books um and it yeah it's like whiplash it's like oh i, I love reading lord of the rings and ari salvatore yep. it's, yeah um but yeah we had those th- that's three questions down now um I'm looking through that. Actually, I, 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 I feel like you have something to add, Agatha. Agatha, like, are you going to say something? I, I threw so much like out there, and I kind of gushed for 15 minutes, and I don't feel ashamed about it, but I realized I had a lot of feelings about Savitore's work. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I saw that question, and I was like, I don't know what this means, but people are reacting to it, so I'm sure it'll be relevant, and I am glad <laughs> that you both have so much nostalgia but also analysis of your nostalgia nostalgia the, the bar like, is with it the bar is literally set so low for like a character like that because it's like she is the, like the one good drow because they're all evil and but he wants to be good uh, he's also like really good with swords but his dad taught him and now he's got he's angsty and he, his his companion he's got a he's got a feline companion guinevere didn't know how to pronounce that until i was an adult <laughs> is it not Quinhiver? I thought it was Guinevere. There's no way to know. It's impossible. There's no to way know. to know. No way to know. We'll never know. Um, all right, Salvatore, send me a, a video message. I'm gonna tweet. I'm gonna tweet and rap to this. Tweet, tweet. How it. do you pronounce it? I will say though, anybody who's an Ari Salvatore fan, um, he did a lot of the world building and narrative for a really slept on video game called Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. Yeah. Yeah, super good. Yes. Game. Oh, that was him. Yeah, that's him. That's oh. him. Yeah, on the on the PlayStation Three. Uh, yeah, that was him. Don't play the remake. I play played it on PC. Okay, never mind. I did. <laughs> yeah, that's him. That's his stuff. Um, huh. Yeah, and then uh, they did Dritz real dirty with that uh, that Dark Alliance game. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but that said, let's let's do some let's do some other uh, questions. Um. Mm, ooh. Okay. This one's going to be relevant to all of us. I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Miss Mike. I see you're also in our Twitch chat. 
Um, what are some of your favorite media that's inspired characters and settings in your games? I've got five. I've got five, <laughs> five, five things, five, five answers. I can't One, believe you have five answers. Oh my God. Yeah, I have five answers. They're all different. So all right, all right. Um, first answer is actually for a character that I played. So I went to Fan Expo uh, last weekend. There were too many people there, um, but I played D&D with some amazing folks. Uh, I got to play D&D with Derek from Nomnivore Games, maker of Emberwind. Um, I hadn't seen Derek since Agatha. You, you and I interviewed Derek way back, like episode three of Asians Represent. And um, I was like, the GM, uh, shout out to uh, Jason Anarchy of Drinking Quest fame. I was like, yeah, it's going to be a murder mystery. Make a really kooky character. And I was like, okay, I want to make a podcaster. <laughs> That's going to be my character. And I, my character is a parody of a parody. So my character is a parody of Tina Fey's character in Only Murders in the Building, who is a parody of Sarah Koenig from NPR. <laughs> <laughs> and so my whole thing was we arrive at this like mansion we find all these people dead and my character is a podcaster so i'm a bard so i wrote this down because i actually have my dnd beyond thing open and i wrote marlo strom is a tabaxi um is a tabaxi bardic college student and the host of a true crime podcast called mazes and murder he is always on the hunt for content and always introduces himself with from the College of Creation, sponsored by the Emerald Enclave, this is Mazes and Murder, Tales of Death and Deception, delivered to you weekly via Raven or Magical Message. I'm your host, Marlo Strom. And I basically spent the entire three-hour game interjecting my character into things and interviewing NPCs. I love um, that. I plan on playing this character in every stream game that I can get a chance to. Um, but I absolutely love that character. So... Um, I feel like that character is like a meta character. Is like I'm, I'm going to be a podcaster. In terms of the four other things, I have them right here next to me. <laughs> what? No, no, go on, go on. Okay. Um, things that actually one of them actually that's not, I have three things next to me. Another one um, that is I cannot physically have here. Um, so things that inspired characters and settings in my game. Uh, in terms of uh, sort of characters and setting. Uh, first one is Berserk. Mm. Um, Berserk is one of my uh, favorite series. I think it's a fantastic dark fantasy manga. It is super dark. It's like content warning for so many things. Um, but I really like Berserk and the way it, you know, action is portrayed, and it's also got like a very grim, dark world. Uh, if you like Souls-like games like Dark Souls and Elden Ring. Uh, Ber Berserk is like top notch. Um, the second thing for me that deep, you know, had good inspiration. Um, uh, and there are many works that this this author has done. Uh, but one of them is uh, a manga adaptation of a Japanese novel uh, called The Heroic Legend of Arslan. Um, the manga adaptation is by Hiromu Arakawa, who did Fullmetal Alchemist and Silver Spoon. Um, and uh, so this one, really good if you're into sort of like that, like sort of uh, feudal Southwest Asian sort of setting, but from the perspective of a, uh, of a Japanese manga artist. 
very interesting. I really like this series. Uh, one that is actually inspiring what I'm trying to do for Asians Represent is, uh, I don't know if, if any of you know this series, is, uh, ooh, hit my microphone, is Yona of the Dawn. Um, Yona of the Dawn is a fantastic series, actually very similar to the heroic legend of Arslan, but better. Um, Yon- it's so good. It's so good. I love it. It's so good. The, the anime is really good. Um, the manga is fantastic, but it's essentially about a, a princess whose, uh, father is murdered and she has to go on the run. Uh, and there's the tale of betrayal and, you know, becoming an adult and taking back what's yours. Really awesome. Yona of the Dawn. Super good. Um, and the, the last one for me, actually, uh, and this is super, super cheesy. Um, but in terms of inspiration and settings, it's actually museums and that's a bad answer, but a lot of my work and a lot of the stuff that I think about is very heavily inspired by the natural world or scholarship. So for, for me, because I have like a science background, I kind of cultivated like a circle of friends who study really weird shit. Uh, And I've seen and done a lot of weird science things. And so for me, a big one is actually kind of engaging with sort of my academic background. And uh, yeah. And a big one that I usually always kind of tap into is like insects. And uh, but a lot of people, it's like a, it's a, a big line for them. So I don't usually put it in a lot of my work. Uh, but I really love insects and serpents and arachnids in particular uh, for my work. Um, yeah. So those, those are like my sort of five, right? Um, Berserk, Heroic Legend of Arslan, uh, Yona of the Dawn, um, you know, the natural world and uh, po- fictional podcasters. Um, because I think there's something absurd about that. I also think like a D and D character that would be an influencer and like, kind of like a, a parody of like influencer culture would be very interesting in D and D or any other TTRPG. Can you imagine that though? Like, Oh, I have to use this branded weapon or my armor has to, like, can you imagine, uh, an adventurer who's wearing branded armor and they have all these different logos on their armor? And they're just kind of going around with all these brand deals. I think it'd be hilarious um, <laughs> because that's kind of the, the world that we live in now. But yeah, that, that's it. How about you folks? What that's are some... very, That's very close to your Tommy Moon character in Shambhala. Right? <laughs> uh, that hype, <laughs> hype beast sort of the character? The hype beast character, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but what about you folks? What, what sort of media has inspired your favorite characters or settings? My answer is like not boring, but like, I don't know how common it is in the tabletop RPG space, but all of my characters are based on real people or amalgams of like real people who I've met in real life. Uh, I like, obviously I consume media and obviously I, I really enjoy it, but yeah. the majority of characters I play are like legit people who like I've met and had drinks with or like talked to or had a meeting with or got angry at. So like La Ning in Dungeons and Asians is heavily based on my little sister. In fact, what? in fact, her, her Vietnamese name is Sok Ning. Um, so I just gave her like a more Chinese sounding last name and that's it. And it based on the fact that she, I was the first born in North America and I was a boy And my family made a big deal about of it. 
And then she was six years my junior, and she had a much harder time with life. Just like there was a lot of expectations, and she couldn't really follow in my footsteps because my footsteps were my own. And if you go back and you listen to like uh, Dungeons and Asians, Lan Ning struggles a lot with like how her family perceives her and what she thinks she needs to do to get their approval. And that's based on like, you know, what I perceived as the struggles of my sister without having actually been in her situation personally. Otherwise, like you'll see characters like I literally named a character on like I want to guess on a stream biggest Stevis, and it's just me. It's just me, but like little amplified with certain personalities. And I just like clown around, which is great. But then other characters like um, Daniel, you and I run a podcast and we played husbands together. Oh, yeah. Um, that character is based a lot about how I felt about what I imagined Bruce Lee would be like if he was like romantically involved with another man and that's based out of like how the the move i guess in that i never met him but the movies i consumed and how like i engage with other people and talk about bruce lee someone from the queer community Mm. like that's an amalgam of like all of their thoughts and their feelings put into like a character um so yeah i i guess i'm weird because i go to bars and i meet strangers and this is really enjoyable for me and if you ever see me (laughs) if you ever see me play like a tycoon or so i was five years ago i was in a beer market and i met someone who literally owned an emerald like mine in i think africa and they were just gushing about how much they were like making off of and they didn't say it but like the labor of people who they were abusing. Oh my God. So if you ever, ever get a chance to see me play like a tycoon kind of character, it is that old white man from that beer market from 2018. Wow. Which is wild. Wow. I, um, funny thing, whenever that comes out, Agatha, you know this, when I was working on Avatar, I was literally messaging all of my Chinese friends. I was like, what's your Chinese name? Because I put them all in Avatar. <laughs> I put all, all of these folks in Asians represent. I was like, what's your Chinese name? Tell me your Chinese name. I'll put it in Avatar because I'll put it under Earth Kingdom. Um, because I wrote a whole section on like NPCs and, and names and stuff. And so I put like, there are a lot of Asians represent people and their Chinese names are in Avatar or their Japanese names are in Avatar. Um, yeah, I, I totally get it. But that's fucking wild, Steve. That, that Emerald Tycoon. Um, there are always characters who... There are always those characters who we want to play, but we never find the right game to play them in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agatha, how about you? What has inspired... I mean, I know you love web novels. Um, but what has inspired... What, what piece of media has inspired your games? I think for me, in terms of, um, I have like, I had like several things that correspond to different aspects of playing and running role playing games. So in terms of um, setting, uh, I think one of the pieces of media that has inspired me the most, um, I don't know if you can hear kids outside. Sorry. That's okay. No worries. Uh, uh, is Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. 
Great it movie. is also my favorite movie of all time. Great movie. Um, but like, I feel like there's just something about that whole like post-apocalypse desert, like desertification. Is that the word? Um, like, you know, the world falling Egg apart. Into a desert. Genre, post-apocalyptic desert vacation. Desertification. Desertification. You know? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not desert vacation. I was like, oh, um, desert vacation in the apocalypse. Cool. Yeah. So I was really for Fallout. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, and then giant bugs, but then like this whole like saving each other through like harmony with nature anyway there's just something about it that i and like finding hope that's the kind of thing that i really like in a game and by the way if you're really into that theme you should try out moth light uh because that game is very heavily inspired by you it. talked about that game a um, lot. yeah so that is like the thing that inspires me a lot for settings and also just places that I have traveled to. Um, uh, Canada has a lot, has a, has very diverse biomes. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I feel like that really helps me in describing places when I'm describing like, okay, well, anyway, (laughs) watch out for this Uh, fearsome beast. Ogopogo. I yeah, or like, you. yeah, or like the like describing like the way that the the salty wind kind of bites at your face because you yeah. literally you know been like somewhere like that you know just things like that. I feel like that's really helpful. Um, in terms of characters, one of my favorite character archetypes to play is the t- the teenage girl uh, stereotype, and I think that's like a stereotype from our generation because i'm pretty sure that that the new gen gen z they have like their own thing and i don't know what it is because i don't watch tiktok I, i'm not on tiktok <laughs> enough i don't watch TikTok. i don't watch that's TikTok how you great yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's like i'm not on the facebooks uh anyways but my inspiration for that I didn't realize this until i was th- meditating on this question is actually totally spies um, yeah, which is totally one of my spies. favorite cartoons to have ever existed. Okay, question: Totally Spies um, or Kim Possible? Totally Spies, Hundo P. Yeah, I'm a Kim Possible. Like, I love their friendship, like female friendship, and then like their attitude with each other. Like the way they talk makes you want to dismiss them, but they're also smart. Anyway, I just love. That, like that's my inspiration when I'm playing a teenage girl character, um, and like their confidence as well. Um, anyway, so that's inspiration for that. And then on the other side of the spectrum, I also really like playing like kind of hmm, d- like the Byronic hero, I guess. So like mm. hot guys with like toxic masculinity problems. Um, and I realized that my inspiration for it, aside from, you know, literally uh, Byronic heroes, not Lord Byron, because he was different. <laughs> I don't yeah. care for playing him, but also a lot of Westerns. Um, I realized that I really like to play that kind of a character. And a lot of times when I'm trying to figure out 
how a character uh, will behave and also what they believe in. I think back to um, my film class, which I didn't like, and all the Westerns that I also didn't like. Sorry, I don't like Westerns, uh, spaghetti or otherwise. But I feel like that kind of like the character that rides into town and then like has to deal with issues or other people are chasing him, you know, things like that. And like, they're kind of like stoicism and the way that they hold their emotions in, but you can see it in their eyes. Um, Like there's something about it that is very fascinating to me and it's inspired a lot of my characters. Um, So that's the characters. And then the other thing is uh, I really like body horror in games And I think one of my big inspirations uh, is when I was in high school, I came across these um, online scans of Jinji Ito's uh, (gasps) works. And I was (laughs) freaking (laughs) scarred. (laughs) But I feel like ever since then, there's something about like the sadness of like his works as well. I feel like the horror in Jinji Ito is like different from the horror in Stephen King in that Stephen King is like very different, very, I mean, they both have like, uh, misogynistic ones. Like there's the, the one about the, the girl anyway, who, when Jinji Ito, like if you kill her, she just keep and everyone becomes obsessed with her to the point where they kill her. And then it's like a disease, the one, disease. the one Jinji Ito, piece that really fucked me up was the uh, Amigara Fault one. That's the one where that with the, with the body outlines in the rocks. That one fucked me up. That one That's was my like my favorite one. It's, it's it's I was trying to I was trying to explain Junji Ito to Sarah, my partner, and I was just, it just it's just it's just so weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I love but I feel like it's just so great whenever I'm trying to like describe things and i i get into this like oh but what if it's creepy and then i start thinking about like swirls in your like in your body and like gross stuff and it always like i feel like i'm trying to recreate the experience of when i was scarred (laughs) the first time (laughs) so yeah those are my inspirations body horror is is a really good one i think of like so fun I think of also like weird stuff. I like the game Control, like like Remedy Games, yeah. like Control and Quant- yeah. like um, Control is just an Alan Wake, um, really interesting stuff. But also like from a body horror perspective, you think about movies like The Fly, or you watch mm-hmm. like The Thing. Um, those movies are fucking rad. Um, now that said. I don't do we do we want like a, a more casual question or do we want like a like a like a serious question? I'm I'm feeling like, like I'm ready for a serious one uh, with the with the commitment that we're going to go to more like casual one afterwards. Okay, well, we'll maybe we'll alternate. You good with that? Okay, cool. So here's what we'll do. So, cause... hey Google, stop amazing okay i i, I didn't Someone even say that. i didn't even say the word um <laughs> I, I didn't even say the word um so castella asked 
how would you approach writing a game or setting drawn from your heritage when you're this was going to hit some of us in like the diaspora soul right um how would you approach writing a game or setting drawn from your heritage when you're when you yourself are unsure of your knowledge or expertise in the topic but still want to write something that connects to that heritage yeah that's a tough one so i, I think about yeah. this like all the time yeah personally and the, the reason is because like we talked about this like i'm from vietnam that's my heritage but like i don't speak the language i've spent in total maybe one calendar a year in that country and in that time people spotted me immediately as a tourist right and though i spent time with my family and like engaged with them and like walked with them down the streets and like you know done all that good good stuff with them you know it's hard to really engage with Vietnamese culture because I have all of this other stuff that I'm coming from. And it's not like I'm a kid, like I'm a full grown man. So when I navigate these spaces, right, people treat me like that. And that's not to their fault. That's just how it is. And that's like human behavior. So if I were to like write a Vietnamese story, I have to write it from my diasporic background. I have to write it from those authentic feelings to tie it all back. So like Unbreakable, for example, Unbreakable in uh, in volume one, where I wrote uh, Hearts of Flame of Lung Bing. Um, it's based on like the the reflection I had to do climbing this mountain in 100% humidity and just like using bamboo trees to like guide myself up to this path that like has not enough stone uh, like steps to actually get up. And I'm dirty and I'm wet and I'm sweaty and I'm miserable. But to like get you to this point where like you exhaust yourself at the end of it at that like point of exhaustion you see this temple and you reflect and you think about what this temple means and what it meant to build it here why did we build it here you know it was it political was it spiritual probably both and just that vagueness of what our identities mean that really speaks to me and I think it speaks for a lot of the diasporic folk as well. Just sometimes identities are kind of messy and they just kind of exist. And it's beautiful in that it is hard to, to really pin down. So I embrace that. And that's how I would and did write about my heritage. Yeah, I think it's very much uh, kind of boils down to a question of doubting whether or not what you're producing is authentic or an authentic representation of that um yeah agatha what's your answer i'll I'll go last what's your answer sure um i agree with steve in that so far in what i write well actually i think there's like two sides to it one is how i feel when i'm talking to non-east asians uh or like maybe like white people in general, like non-POC, I guess, but or just non-Asians. I think it, it really depends on the situation. But like in those contexts, I feel like a lot of times, like either they look at me as like some sort of authority. So then I'm just like, okay, well, based on my experience is this. And then they just kind of like, it's like both a burden, but it also is like, they just take it because i said so or they're like let me tell you about your culture and i'm just like in another 
mode, which is feeling very upset. <laughs> like, why are you telling me something that you didn't have? This is not your lineage. Anyway, so like, I feel like that is one separate thing. And I think like writing things or like talking about gaming in that context is pretty different from like when I'm thinking about like people who are like from where I am also from but have a stronger lived experience and are not like diaspora um and I feel like in those cases I ask other people and I try to work with other people who I know to be more informed than I am um and it's it's kind of interesting because I'm approaching it from the perspective of I'm a Westerner. Um, most like almost all of my formative year is in the West. So I want to learn from p- the person that I'm asking or like working with. Um, but otherwise I only, I also just write from my own lived experience as well, which is like, what is it like having this identity living here in North America versus otherwise. But also sometimes like relying on genre is also very helpful. I find like if this is the genre that we're going with, for example, if this is like a wuxia story, then I'm relying on the tropes of the genre and not necessarily like my understanding of the cultural context itself. But like there are other touchstones that you can then use to scaffold your story is how I think about it in my head. How effective that is, I don't know. That's for other people to judge. Based yeah. on the quality of your work, it seems very effective. <laughs> like you, you do great stuff. I, I'm very similar too, right? Like I was born here. I, I've spent a good amount of time in in China, uh, but I was there for scholarship, right? And most of my time there was spent either in dusty warehouses sorting pottery or in the in the bottom of a pit digging holes, um, in the in the countryside. Um, for me, I think when I'm kind of struggling with that is like, I always, I've been trying to do this more and it's a, yes, my, my own sort of like diasporic experience is a unique and authentic reflection of my heritage. That's one thing when, when, you know, when you're a a kid of the diaspora, you often think, well, like I'm not really Chinese. No, you, you, you are, your experience just is different from those who are in China, but that doesn't mean you're not Chinese. That's that, that's me talking to myself, right? Um, bless you. Um, that said, uh, another thing is that when I'm producing my own stuff, I always use it as an opportunity to learn more. So for me, it's, you know what? Maybe if I'm trying to self-publish something, I don't know this aspect of my culture. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to learn, learn from others, learn from my family, um, and you know, do some research. At the same time, I also am privileged because I, I was a scholar. I was a scholar. I was an academic, and so I really like to heavily lean on academic research, like the campaign setting that I'm writing, like on the side. Like I, I straight up messaged a scholar. I sent her an email, and I was like, "Hey, you're the only one who's ever written a dissertation on this in English. Can I get a copy of it?" And and I was. And it, it was a dissertation on swords. There was a chapter on it on swords. And so for me, like I tend to lean in heavily on the academic side because for me, 
that's almost like I have a lot of crit- criticism of the practice of scholarship. But for me, it's like almost like creating a source of truth that I can lean on to deal with my own imposter syndrome. It's saying, hey, I have scholarly references. Um, so for me, to, to answer that question, it's I really like to lean on the fact that when I'm approaching something and like a project and drawing on my own heritage or my perceptions of my heritage, I like to use it as A, a learning opportunity and B, a way for me to validate the authenticity of my interactions with my heritage. And I think that that's kind of a uh, an underlying theme with all of our answers. It's that, yeah, if you are of the diaspora and you are essentially like, yeah, I'm a Westerner, that doesn't make me less Asian. And that's something that people we see a lot online. It's like, hey, you know, you, you were born here. You're not truly Asian. There are going to be aspects of the culture that you do not understand. There are going to be... Um, subtle or very obvious things that may not even be on your radar. Uh, we saw this with um, when they released all of that discussion about uh, all the different Captain Americas and one was mm. like had family from the Philippines. But then the connotations of being Captain America. Yes. And being associated with the Philippines is very complicated. Right. Um, and I always take these as learning opportunities. Um, but I will also say if somebody messages me or inquires about hiring me for something that I don't feel comfortable telling, that doesn't mean that I'm less Asian than somebody I might recommend. It just means that my experiences with Chinese culture are different. Uh, and so it's kind of an exercise in reframing your expectations of yourself and your expectations of your worth when it comes to your heritage. Because your experience is always going to be worthwhile it's just different from other people's and that's okay to lighten that a little bit uh, <laughs> yeah recently it was taste of vietnam at nathan phillips square right. uh which i went to with my i entire... went there actually because oh you did oh it was well, great yeah because it happened at the same time as breakout con yeah yeah so did you see the fashion show no it was it was too hot <laughs> it was, it really was too hot. hot okay so what was really funny is the fashion show was great because I loved the fashion show. They bring out the Alizai and just like everyone was like doing it. A lot of like modern takes on it in what, which I mean, Western takes on it. And you could tell a lot of the audience was kind of like, yeah, this is ugly and I hate it. And I'm like, but it's gorgeous. But also I understand why you might feel that way. And then I got some vindication because I started eating their food and I'm like, Hey, this namung, which is like ground pork seasoned, grilled on like a thing, uh, on a on a sugar cane. I'm like, you cook this and it's terrible. You under seasoned it and it tastes like garbage. But Ooh. that is because my family makes it better. So I I bought a whole bunch and I brought it to my family who all joined me in Toronto. And I'm like, try this namung, and everyone was like, this tastes like garbage. And my dad refused to eat it. <laughs> Because he has, a, a, he has a sensitive gut. So he was like, if you tell me it tastes bad, I won't even touch it because I'm not so, going to risk it. So did you spite purchase this just so your family could roast it? I did. And what I mean to say by this That's is hilarious. that sometimes our diaspora <laughs> means that we lean into like the things that we love about our identity, even if it's not, you know, 
exactly the the generic Vietnamese experience, or whatever, because it doesn't make sense. There's no such thing. So my experience was I got to bring out someone else's Vietnamese like interpretation of what that means, bring it back to my family who I love and hate share on it with it. them, and then we get to fucking dunk on it. <laughs> and that brought us closer together, which sounds terrible, obviously. But I, ha- I think that's like a, I, I, I got joy out of it. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters, right? <laughs> and I'll also bring something in that's also reflective of like to kind of tighten the answer around TTRPGs. Because actually, Agatha and I, we worked on a project together this earlier this year. And I think this is actually the first time Agatha and I have like, it's just the two of us as co-authors on something. Yeah, it's the first time Agatha and I have co-authored something. And it's actually the perfect example uh, of an answer to this question. Because it is... A, first of all, I think Agatha, what we wrote is really fucking good. Um, I think it's really fucking good. And I cannot wait for us to talk about it in less vague terms. Um, but that said, there are aspects of it that I did not have the expertise, the cultural expertise. And I was able to be like, hey, Agatha, I can't do this part. I need you. Um, and so uh, another answer to sort of this sort of question is if you feel like you are trying to approach a piece of work, whether it be something you f- you're a freelancer on or it's an independent project that you're working on or just for your home game and you feel like you're unsure, that doubt, may not be the in the entirety of you know your being there are going to be parts where you're like i am very sure of this and i feel really good about this but to circle back to one of our early answers in this episode if you surround yourself with people with the same values and you have a circle of people who you can talk to you're going to be able to also lean on them for their knowledge and that's what i did with agatha and i was like i cannot do this and i know that you can and I get the fucking crushed it. Um, so another answer is like, A, understand that your unique interactions and experiences with your heritage are authentic. Um, and B, if you are trying to convey a certain perception of authenticity and you do not have a complete degree of expertise in it, always lean on another person. Because while we talk about consultants, sensitivity readers, Consultants and sensitivity readers are not just for white people. They are for everybody. Um, or co-authors, <laughs> in the case of Agatha and I. Um, classic Agatha eyebrows. Um, <laughs> now, let's go to a light question. Ooh, I was just about to pick one, and it's not a light question. Double back. Um, oh. That's not the sounds you make when it's late. Oh, okay. There was one that was also a character one, right? Yeah, I was was thinking that one or... So Spectre from our server asked two questions that I'm kind of flip-flopping between them. Um, Okay, here's one that uh, I think I'll answer this one and then the other. We'll do the character one first. So Spectre asked, what's a character idea you really want to try out but haven't been able to play them in a campaign? And... Oh, Steve. I have an answer, but like... The tycoon? Is it the tycoon? It's not. Okay. So, I have a one-shot coming up. It's a Radiant Citadel one-shot with a full Bimpok, um, like, cast, which is great. 
I asked him if it'd be okay. I'll be playing the toxic man who hurt everyone, has slept around, lied, betrayed, was a coward, cheated, all that kind of stuff off screen, came back years later and is now changed. They hit rock bottom and something something happened. They hit rock bottom and they've come back. They've already made the apology and they're like part of the group because of skill set. But no one has truly forgiven them because that's not how forgiveness works. Sometimes the the pain you give to people is just so deep that you just have to accept that someone won't forgive you for the things you've done in your past. So I'll be playing Emrin, who profile picture I picked up on Harry Hot and Pakistani, who's just like this huge buff dude, just like covered in hair, but was terrible to pe- to people. And I'm going to be working through what, what it redemption. means to not even. It's redemption, but like you might not get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like sometimes you seek redemption, but you might have to accept that you will never have it. So you have degrees of good. So that's my, I haven't played it yet. That one's going to come up in maybe October or November. Cool. Cool. Wait, you're going to do that in a one shot? It's technically a three shot. Oh, okay. So we have series then. So we have a little bit of time to like explore. Uh, our session zero was an hour of it was an hour of like safety tools and things like that but an hour of the web of treachery (laughs) that my character kind of perpetuated just for personal selfish gain and it's pretty bad (laughs) it's really bad nice agatha how about you do you have a character that you've always wanted to play or like an like an archetype that you've always wanted to play um I feel like my answer again is like less intense. <laughs> my, my, mine, are, mine are also le- less intense than Steve's. I, I was gonna say I have never played a very self-indulgent. When actually, that's not true. I, I have <laughs> indulged myself in many ways uh, in the characters that I have played. Uh, but I feel like I've never played like a Mary Sue, like YA. A protagonist character who just like is like so is like oh my gosh the world is so unfair to me but actually like has a lot of privilege, privilege. <laughs> <laughs> like i've never played that character before and i don't know if i'm capable of playing it without being like like i i, I want like, to talk to your manager hard. but like it in my like in the deepest darkest part of my soul i feel like i really want to play out the the kind of like fanfic original character oc that i used to write and yeah so that's that's my answer that's a good one because i have in typical daniel fashion i have like multiple answers (laughs) for like Actually, one of my one of my sort of dream characters actually came true recently. Actually, um, in the Pathfinder game that uh, I play with uh, Jeremy, Emma, and Drew, uh, my characters, oh, my characters, and Jackie. Sorry, I forget, and Jackie too. Um, my character is the fucking worst. <laughs> like, I just wanted to play a character who is the worst. Uh, my concept was that my my character. Um, uh, was like a scholar in 
Pathfinder's world, the Asian setting is called Tiansha. And my character was like a scholar in Tiansha who's helping the emperor basically achieve immortality and build the perfect body. Um, in my mind, my character's body looks like Louis Tan's body. <laughs> um, and he's like experimenting on himself to make the perfect physical eternal body. So his body is covered with tattoos and, and scars and stuff from experimentation. And upon kind of reaching the pinnacle of this sort of scholarship, his soul is forced from his body and shoved oh. into a doll. And the body is taken to the West. Like, <laughs> like a white person just stole the perfect body um, and takes it to the West. And my character is now searching for his body. But the longer his soul is away from the body, the more unhinged his soul and spirit becomes. And so my character is just the fucking worst. It's like annoying. But deep down, we as a group have established that once my character is reunited with his body, things will change. And there are gl glimpses of it in the character. But my character is very unhinged. Think like, uh, you know, um, the puppet was the character in Batman. He's the, he's the mobster, but he's a puppet. Shit. What's his name? That's my uh, character. He's a he's a oh gunslinging. I know, right? He's a gunslinging puppet, and my character is just like he like he like farts. He just blows shit up. He's just the worst. He's Conker from Conker's Bad Fur Day, but the puppet's name is Scarface. Scarface, but so it's like Scarface mixed with Conker from Conker's Bad Fur Day, mixed with Tom Hanks and Castaway, mixed with Woody from Toy Story. That is my character, and I've always just wanted to play an unhinged character for a really long time, and I got to do that. It for things that I have never played, I've <laughs> there were sort of like three archetypes that I've always wanted to play. One, I've wanted to play like confident, happy-go-lucky, never down. I've always wanted to play Rock Lee from Naruto. I've always mm, wanted to play like rock yeah like, that confidence um i've also always wanted to play like anakin skywalker in revenge of the sith or like sasuke from naruto i just wanted to play edgy and awful dritster um and dritster but <laughs> less dritster and more just like i just want vengeance um and then the third one is i just want to play a character that has the confidence of a 40 year old white man <laughs> sorry Sorry, <laughs> and I just want to play a character that walks into places, and I just expect things to go well for me. Um, and I think that contrasts the Rock Lee character, who is who has self belief, um, but puts like hard work and understands that there are things working against him. But I also want to play a character that is that's got this confidence and does not have an understanding that that, that like they are not the center of the universe. I want to play a self centered character. I want to play that trope that you see in the news and media. Um, yeah, those are, my, those are my characters. I think you can definitely play that in an NPC, though. Like, some yeah, these... you, you, I I have played I have played the sort of Rock League character in an NPC actually in my home D and D game. Uh, my the NPC that's been traveling with the group is this kind of annoying squire type character, and. Drew, who's in my DD game, treats him like shit. Um, but it's actually revealed that he's a rich kid. And he comes from a family from my Asian setting. He comes from a family of of bladesmith. And he didn't want to deal with the expectations of running the family business and decided that he wanted to try being an adventurer. And he is 
Yeah. And so he, he's basically everyone's translator as well. And he carries like, he has like one of those like coin dispensers that you used to wear on your waist. It was like metal. Yeah. Steel yeah. Coins. He carries one for all of their coins. He's like, he's unaware of how wealthy he is. And he's literally the rich kid who is doing an unpaid internship um, with an adventuring party. I recently played an NBC of villain and I named Ooh. him Paul the skeptic. <laughs> and he was what you're describing where it's a white guy with tons of privilege who's just decided yep. that he knows better than everyone else. And he became the antagonist for the entire party. And I have to let you know, every time I had to play Paul, the skeptic and like be misogynistic, be racist, be ableist, all these terrible things, we would finish the scene. I'd be like, Hey y'all, let's take five. Sorry. And I have to like, I have to like leave and come back and then apologize and be like, I hope you also understand that like, this is like, this is frustration coming out in like this very like dramatic way. But also I hate this character and I hate playing it. Please like get him out of the scene as soon as you can use your means to act on his toxicity. And they did. But for those like three sessions, he was just a pain in my side. It was fun for like 10 seconds. And then it was pain. Yeah. And I think I, another thing is it's you, you need to have a group that will allow you to do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, oh my gosh. I, I, I want this to be a topic or it's just like a question, which is like the character that was the most painful to play let's that's, that's, that's make that <laughs> as an npc not like like it hurt my soul because i am i'm investigating things like about myself through it but like a... yeah no <laughs> i i totally feel you no i know so yeah, right paul uh, the skeptic what a gross name too <laughs> characters i know <laughs> we hated playing <laughs> Right, that I just wrote that down. Um, I'm serious. I, I think that would be a really interesting discussion of like you know, like comfort and group dynamics and safety and all that. Yeah, um, and also like, like, in interrogating, investigating your own uh, ideas and mm -hmm. like things that you may have internalized in role playing. Mm. Mm. Mm, I like that oh. big brain move there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay so specter asked another question and i think it's a really it's now is the right time to ask this question now that we have a lot of experience doing this and it's as someone who's terrible at asking questions what are some good techniques to come up with relevant and useful questions i would assume that this is during an, like a, a podcast not like a like an actual game um that each of us has obviously led episodes of Asians represent. What do you folks think about technique for coming up with relevant and useful questions? The, 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 the first time we met in person, I was talking to James Mendes Hodes and we were like having whiskey and we we're talking about his orctical and things like that. Um, and we were talking about that very topic. Like, how do you like ask questions to like help kind of like, bring out more information to help you. So he gave the imagery of like a shark circling prey. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. You're like, you want to like 
smell you want to like see what else is there is there any other predators around things like that and instead i said what if instead you focused it like surveying to build a bridge you need to make sure that that bridge can be built and it's safe that people can move across it that people trust that bridge so you can you can circle around like a shark or you can survey it like you want to build a bridge for me, if I want to ask a question, I have to survey the situation first. I have to like understand what context people have brought. And I'll ask those questions like, hey, what is the context within this? Or could you please elaborate on this? I'm curious about it. And I do show that authentic method of I want to know more about where you're coming from. And what I'm doing is I'm surveying what's happening here so that I can ask a very direct question when the time needs it, when I need to put down that first brick for that bridge. So for me, Absolutely. it's, it's, it's that get it's information, kind of, get, get data. Yeah. It's creating trust. And I think intentionality is also really important here. Cause when you, when you said, you know, it's like a shark, what do I need to get out of them? My immediate thought was that is not the way my immediate thought was like, I hate that. Um, because from a podcasting perspective, which is, I think the context of this question the objective of asking a question to a guest on a podcast is never to get something that you want because I find that that brings out the most inauthentic answer in someone. The question that you always want to ask is something that will light a fire inside your guest. The question is one that allows them to elaborate on their passions. The question is one that shows them that you've done research on them. It's a question that shows them that you care about what they bring to the conversation and you are not here to have a transaction of information. You are here to put their experience and perspective above yours in this moment. And so when you kind of approach it with that mindset, the mindset of I am here to bring out the best in you. I am here to bring out what makes you excited Asking the, finding the right questions is actually very easy as long as you are present with someone and you see that they're reacting with interest and of course, not planning too much. Honestly, I think one of the best interviewers out there, um, there, there are two. One is like the, only the Canadians will really get this. Um, one who can really solicit genuine emotion out of a guest is Nardwar, human serviette. <laughs> Nardwar is not a name I've heard in a very long time. So, okay, I see your face, Agatha. So, Nardwar is a um, like a, a music journalist, work icon in the Canadian uh, journalism scene. And Nardwar, there are a lot of very viral videos of Nardwar asking questions that just break the person he's talking to. He'll ask them he'll know the name of their first band uh, and he'll kind of ask them that question to disarm them and have them be like, Oh my God, I want to talk about that. And he cultivated a reputation for being very meticulous and thorough with his research research. The second one who I think is probably one of the best sort of contemporary interviews is Sean Evans. Hot ones. Sean Evans does a fantastic job of doing research, but also engaging in, what is of interest to the guest? 
Because if you have somebody who's constantly going on and talking about, I want to talk about this game or I want to do this, they're answering the same question over and over again. You want to ask them a question that is different, that solicits a, a genuine, potentially visceral emotional reaction because you want them to be excited, right? Um, so so that's, how, that's how I kind of approach asking questions is I really want to make you look good and I want to ask you something that will ignite that spark inside of you so it will carry on the rest of the conversations because really the first question you ask is going to be the most important because it sets the tone for the rest of the interview. Uh, what about you, Agatha? I love that you mentioned specific people because that does remind me of like one of, um, I think the brilliant, most brilliant interviewers that I remember listening to is um, Ezra Klein. Ezra um, Klein. He, he's with, yeah, he's with New York Times now and he has like New York Times literally poached him to be, well, I don't know. I think it's poached uh, to be like, can you like make the show that you had uh, with Slate? Wait, not Slate. No, sorry. The other one. Anyway, can you do that? But with us <laughs> and we'll call it the Ezra Klein show. Um, he, yeah. What, what did he start? Anyway, I actually really like the other. Um, it's okay. It's late. The network that he, he co-starred. Sorry. It's it's late. It is late. No, I said it's late. Don't worry if you forget. It's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, I was like <laughs> fact checking. Um, I guess there are like two different answers again. One is like, how do you just ask good questions in general, like in conversation? And I feel like with that one, you have to be genuinely interested. You have to like put yourself in the mindset that this person is interesting. So everything they ask um, or everything they say uh, I'm going to think about what part of this is interesting to me. And I'm saying this as someone who is very introverted. And so a lot of times when I talk with people, that's literally me being like, how do I, how do I, how do I think of questions? Yeah. Yeah. So that is different, I guess. I, I, um, but like in terms of interviewing, like actually formally interviewing people, I, I agree with Danielle research, and then, um, but then also because when you get like the way that we interview is that we already, when we get guests, it's like, we already have an idea of what we want to talk to them about. So it's very different from like, you've been assigned to interview this person and to like, maybe like profile them or whatever. Right. Like that is more like you need to dig out what is interesting in their lives or like in their perspectives. Whereas for us, we already have topics that we want to talk about. So sometimes it's, you ask the questions that are <laughs> relevant to the topic that you're already interested in, that you already wanted to discuss. So in that way, it's actually not super hard um, because you're like, Oh, like this is the episode about romance. Oh my gosh. Like I want to know like what people think about romance and games like how do you set safe boundaries and then like the it's already things that you wanted to talk about so one thing you like... also oh go ahead sorry go ahead i don't know finish your finish your thought so i guess if you're talking about like from an interviewing perspective like you can also choose to just like to ask for guests 
using the topics that you already want to talk about. Then that way you won't run out of questions because again, you're already interested and invested in it to start with. Absolutely. Uh, I find that that's also the same skill that comes into play. Initially, when you had talked about you know listening for that nugget that's going to let you ask the next question, that's what I do when I segue. I, I think that one of my best skills is being able to segue from one topic to the next organically. Uh, is become a running gag uh, on the show. Uh, but for for me, I think on on what you had just said, you we do have a set topic, but almost every single episode will go off the rails because there is something within that topic that we find really genuinely interesting or our guest is just like, I want to talk more about that. And so while, yes, there is a certain degree of preparation you can do and there's a certain degree of structure that you can set into place, be prepared to go, you know, divert from the path that you've set within these very clear boundaries. Uh, and that's something that I think is very important. Uh, so I think we have time for... So I'm going to add one more thing to this one. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So I'm going to add some like very actionable like strategies I use when it comes to asking questions. So like three things I do, here's my listicle. This doesn't work in podcasts, but it does work in like a situation like on Discord server, Twitter, probably not, Uh, calls generally, yes. Strategy number one, the five whys I find to be very helpful for uh, getting to the root of tension. The idea is that you ask a person why five times in a row, and at that point, they'll exhaust all of their like superfluous kind of like whatever baggage and they'll get to the root of like what their feeling is. And from there you can like build up on it in practice. You can't get to five whys. in practice. It usually takes like two or three at around three. They start getting annoyed with you. So five is the intention. Three is what you'll probably execute on. The next one is scales of 10. The reason this, I think, is a really good way to like explore a, a topic is because you ask someone to reflect and you're like, hey, based on this topic, given this prompt on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel about it? And you give them what zero looks like and what 10 looks like. And you ask them to like pick where they are on that spectrum. Because what you've done is you've reframed the question outside of a binary instead of a spectrum, which allows them to like reframe it as a nuanced way to explore the situation. So if we're talking about racism in D&D, you can be like on a scale of one to 10, how much harm do you think this depiction has on a BIMPOC community? And then you can like talk about that. And that's that's really, really cool. And what I like about that one specifically is that at the end of the conversation, you can be like, now, how do you feel on a scale of one to 10? Same scale. Did you change and what does that change feel like for you? That one I think is really helpful. And the last Absolutely. question asking tool that I use is the magic wand question, which is we have a problem space. If you had a magic wand implying you have infinite resources, infinite time and no other restrictions, what would the solution look like? And that can be really helpful because it helps to narrow in on like what their ideal state would be knowing that you can't be there just yet. But you can now bring this back like we are here. You already told me your magic space is here. How do you think we could potentially 
move that needle towards that magic space. Knowing you probably can't get there, but progress is probably in our interest. And that can be also a very good way to get people to like open up in a very positive, very hopeful way of engaging with the topic. So those are my three things. Yeah. I think that those three things also work. They work really well for certain things. Um, particularly what we do with Asians represent, because oftentimes when we're doing these podcast episodes, we're trying to find solutions to issues. Um, one thing that I will say is if you are trying to start a podcast or you're trying to interview, you know, somebody in this space who has been on shows before an easy, easy thing to avoid, don't ask them the same kinds of questions that they've probably already answered before (laughs) because your listeners aren't going to your piece of media to find that answer that's been answered 10 times. Right. I have gone on podcasts before and they say, what's your, what's your, if you could work on a, um, what's the, if you could work on a D and D project, what would you write? I'm like, I did. I, I did work on a D and D project. And I wrote exactly what I wanted to write. Um, so a do some research and B don't ask this, the same sorts of questions that one would expect or like, what was your inspiration for Candlekeep Mysteries. I've answered that so many times on other podcasts, but when I was on Navarra's podcast, if you listen to that interview, Navarra didn't ask me about my work. Navarra asked me about kind of the story behind Asians Represent and my story as a kid, like a Chinese kid struggling with my heritage growing up here. And that's why I vibed with Navarra. And that's why I was like, hey, we need you to come on Asians Represent. Yeah. Right. And so when you're thinking about questions, don't ask the easy ones because the easy ones have already been asked before. And you're not going to draw out that emotion from somebody who's been asked the same question over and over again. Right. Um, So, yeah, that's just a quick thing there. Now, we are running out of time. And I know we did have a question about, you know, Steve, you threw us a question. Why bring on non-Asian guests now? Why black guests? And we're not going to answer that now because folks will have to tune into episode 60 of the Asians Represent podcast where we talk about anime, the black community, and the representation of black characters on this podcast. Um, or not on this podcast, but in anime. And we're going to talk about it on the podcast. So we're going to actually answer that question with our third sort of, I'm, I'm going to call it like a community crossover uh, episode. I am very excited about that one because it's the first episode where we're really going to talk about anime and some of the issues in it. And we have uh, just some amazing folks who are going to be on it. I won't say more because I'm going to announce that on Twitter later, but we're going to answer that. Now, I think we should definitely do more episodes like this. You, you, I mean, would you folks agree that I think a Q&A episode is, I think it's it, it changes the pace, but it also gets us to talk about these topics and develop new ideas. I mean, I, th- I think we're talking about this. Were we talking about a stream or not? But either way, I mean, my opinion is that retrospectively looking back on like a season, like a, a time chunk, is always good yeah. for like the soul. And I think it's really good to set you up for success in the future. Like how can you possibly progress if you don't look back on your own past? So when it comes to like these mailbag segments, the Q&A segments, I love them because I have to think back on everything I've done in the last little bit. And um, I enjoy it a lot. It's yeah, it's, it makes me feel good. Yeah. And these questions were fantastic. Now that said, you know, we, 
aren't able to do these mailbag episodes without our community, without the support of folks around us, obviously without each other. I, I'm very glad that all three of us were able to get together to do this. Um, and I'm also super grateful that we have folks who are like supporting us. We have some like amazing folks who are supporting us on Patreon. They are helping us make this happen. They are helping us produce new content. Um, we've got a whole bunch of things that are in the works. I'm really excited about what we're doing. And the continued success of Asians Represent is very much attributed to the support of our community. Um, and so we have a lot of folks to thank. We have a whole bunch of our uh, guardian patrons. We have Brooke, Jeremy, we have Eisen, Daisy, we have um, Caroline, uh, Cavi, we have Matt, and I'm AX, I'm sorry, I missed you at Fan Expo. Uh, we have Arjun, Jay, I know I gotta look at that D&D thing you sent me, I'm gonna do it. And of course, Yan. And then I cannot stress how honorable our most honorable patrons are because you folks rock. Um, like I'm talking about Liana, Valorous Games. I'm super excited because Liana and I have been, we talk about anime a lot. And Liana is going to be on this episode and has produced this really interesting resource on this. And I'm just so excited. So, uh, shout out to Valorous Games. Uh, I'm glad that, Steve, you're able to come on the show and that we can now alternate Valorous Games and Asians Represent. So if you like these sorts of hard conversations, if you just like seeing Steve, if you like seeing Steve, you can now see Steve pretty reliably every Friday on either the Asians Represent Twitch or the Valorous Games Twitch. I'm, I'm not like blown like that that's correct right <laughs> no no that's absolutely right like we're gonna alternate yes. i do asian present then do valorous streams um agatha daniel you might really like my character his name is tyler and is the sibling of michelle uh I, I saw the art character uh we're both vietnamese characters she's like the soft quiet a personality person my character is like the himbo uh like mixed Asian character as well. My character uh, carries around a giant sword, which is the family heirloom, like giant sword, ridiculously big. And he can't wield it. Uh, it's too heavy for him. So he fights purely by just like finding stuff around him and using that to fight, um, which like, <laughs> for you like, in berserk. <laughs> oh yeah. Like the sword is a very berserk sword. If you look at the art, it's really, really good. But the tragedy of, you know, having this family heirloom that you're expected to use and you can't is uh, is great. And I have other plans for it. And the group is great. We've talked about like how romances will blossom and fail. Oh, that's anime, y'all. <laughs> that that's anime. Uh, is your is uh is your character's sword supposed to be the the weight of familial expectations embodied? Is it supposed to embody the weight of familial expectation, the weight of legacy? His entire family should belong to a certain house, and he got denied, and instead goes to another house that would accept him, but he still carries the sword. Oh, so it's like carrying your family's legacy elsewhere with you, so they are always with you, even though you may not be able to draw on their literal power. Yep, you have, to, you have to find your own. But that's super cool. But yeah. I like that. I like that. So shout out to, to Valorous Games. I gotta figure out, I think on Twitch we can do like a team Twitch thing where 
when Valor's Games goes live and we're not live, we'll just automatically host them. I think I gotta, I'll set that up. I gotta figure out how to do that first of all. Um, but we have some other folks to thank. Obviously, Metal Weave Games. I will say this again. Congratulations to um, the entire team on your uh, IGDN award for your cyberpunk setting. Um, shout out to you know the most honorablest of all time. Uh, Dungeon Glitch slash Matt, always doing cool things, signal boosting, um, creators of color on Twitter. Uh, Michelle's a patron as well. Um, I am really hyped that Michelle finished their uh, their Elden Ring uh, big ceramic project. If you haven't seen that, check out Michelle's Twitter at Kiln Fiend Potter. Um, shout out to Most Honorable JT um, and Bob, and of course, Stefan. Stefan is, I'm really happy that I met Stefan. Stefan is super cool. Um, and of course, Most Honorable Times Two Epic Impulse. Um, I am super grateful for our most honorable and guardian patrons. You folks make this happen. And I am very motivated to try to put out more stuff for you. And end of September, something's coming. Um, Agatha and Steve haven't told me about it yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but something is coming and it's going to be great. Um, but that said, I want to thank the two of you for joining me on this Friday evening. I want to thank everyone on our Discord server who asked us questions. Uh, questions that we haven't answered, uh, I am going to answer in the show notes on our Patreon. So I'm going to type out my own answers to those. Um, so everybody's questions get answered, no matter how ridiculous they are. Um, but that said, I want to thank everyone. And we will actually be back in two weeks where we talk about Black representation in anime and the relationship between um, Black community and its fandom and anime. Um, so September 16th is when that live stream will happen. Um, and if you're watching this on YouTube, we always put the audio and video out uh, the following Monday. So look out for that. And that said, you know, take care of yourself, relax, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you.